Well, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, we are making our way through this letter. It's an amazing, fascinating letter. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 17 today. And one of the frequent questions that comes up is, how do you know God's will, right? I mean, it comes up, how does a Christian actually discern God's will? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, why, you actively would like to know. What is God's will for my life? And there's a variety of situations and decisions and opportunities before you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, God, I'd like to know what your will is in these settings, in this situation. But how do you actually determine or discern God's will? Now, I want you to know there's a lot of thought that goes into this. And I want to give you some wrong views of like how to discern God's will. Some people think that God's will is like a treasure, but it's hidden. It's like hidden in the mountains somewhere. God gives us a few clues, maybe a little poem, and your job is to go out there and discover it, right? And so you're just kind of like looking and wandering, and, and you may never find it. And it's, it's buried treasure, and most people don't. It's just, but it's out there. Or it's kind of like the idea that, you know, like, you ever been to a beach? Like, every beach has one of these guys with a metal detector, you know? And they're just kind of, they're just kind of walking around like that, you know? And they're always, ooh, you know, like, they discover something, Right? And some people think like, well, that's how God's will is. You just, you got to try to detect it, you know, and, and you be real careful, but you're, you're eventually going to maybe find it possibly, maybe of some value. Who knows? There's some folks that think that um, God's will is, is lost, you know, and you got, your job is to find it. Kind of like God is some sort of like celestial Easter bunny. He's hidden his will in different places, and your job is to find it and discover what his will might be. And then, of course, there's some folks that think, like, you know, well, God does it this way. He kind of has us in this game where it's like, you know, warmer, warmer. You're getting closer to God's will. Up, oh, cold. Up, oh, you're frozen, right? And some of you feel like, man, I, that's me. I'm, I'm frozen. I just, I don't even know where God's will is. I'm, I'm clueless. And some people think, like, well, that's kind of how God works. You know, he's like trying to help us. Warmer, warmer, colder. And we are wandering around, but we never really seem to find it. And then, of course, some people think like, well, God's will is like a puzzle. And you have some of the pieces, but you don't have all the pieces. And you don't know what the, the master picture looks like, and so life is a puzzle. And you're like, God, this doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make sense, and I don't know what to do, and it's kind of frustrating. And then, of course, there are some folks uh, that think that God's will is just then a, a mystery you have to accept, Okay. Well, you'll never know God's will for your life, and it can't be known completely, and so you just need to accept. It's a mystery. And then, of course, there are some people that actually don't want to know God's will for their life, and that's because they think like, man, if, if I really wanted to know God's will for my life, and I really sought his will, it would probably be the absolute worst thing that I could ever imagine. Like, God would, the, the gifts and the opportunities God has given me, he's going to completely destroy those things, and my life will be in total misery if I really know and try to live in God's will. And so, like, I just kind of want to avoid that because I'm pretty sure I won't like God's will. And there are actually more people than you think that function that way. Like, God will ask me or call me to do something I absolutely will never want to do. And so, how is it, though, that we can discern God's will. Are there any concrete principles that we can find that will help us discern God's will? And then, of course, you know, it kind of comes up. Like, there are big decisions. Like, you know, 
Where do I go to school? Should I go to the military? Should I marry? If so, who should I marry? Do I take this job? What about this opportunity? This house? Should I buy it? No. This car? This, you see, there's all these decisions, and um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, well, God, I want to follow you, and I, I, want to, I want your will, but how do you figure it out? And how do we discern God's will? I want you to know that at every stage of your life, that is going to be an important question. It's really, we see it especially like when we're younger, kind of that young adult age, like, where should I go to school? Huge choices, you know, and like, about, like, should I get married? And if so, who? And, and how does this all work out? And like, there's a lot of folks that are really eager to know God's will. You're a follower of Jesus. And then, but I want you to know that's true of every stage. And so we have this desire, but then we come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, and here it is. Look what is written here. 517, he says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish. The word here means to be like unthinking, to be ignorant, uh, that you are destitute of knowledge, that you really are, are simple-minded. He says, do not be foolish. That tells you that if you're not actually pursuing understanding God's will, you're in that category, the category of being a fool. Remember last week we talked about it? Like twice in the book of Psalms it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, Right? And they function like that. Psalm 10 verse 4 says, the wicked, all of his thoughts are, there is no God. And so they just plow forward and do life on their own as if God doesn't exist and his will doesn't matter. I want you to know that if you're not concerned about God's will and understanding it, what does the text say? So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You remember... Last week, we talked about those who are pursuing wisdom. The contrast is between the unwise and the wise. The wise are seeking to make the most of their opportunities, right? The unwise? (laughs) Why, God doesn't even factor in there. But the fool never actually considers that God has a purpose for their life and a purpose that he's working out in Christians, And so that's why you find here this such incredibly important verse. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The word understand means to know, comprehend the nature and meaning of a matter, to perceive clearly. You have to engage your mind so that you will know the will of God, but it's of critical importance. Now, when we talk about God's will, theologians have got this in two categories. You have God's decreed will and God's revealed will. God's, God's decreed will, or decretive will, or secret will, is that which God has uh, foreordained will come to pass. God has established a will in eternity past, before even the foundation of the universe, before it was established, and he is working out his perfect purposes in the world, okay? And we see that. We see God represented as such, as absolutely sovereign and accomplishing his will, like in texts like Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 through 10, that says, remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from 
Ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. We don't really fully know God's decreed will until it actually rolls out and it's played out. But God is sovereign and he has a decreed will. But the other aspect of God's will is God's revealed will where God has revealed his will and had it recorded and copied in the pages of Scripture. And so, for instance, we know God's will is declared in Scripture. There's all sorts of things we know about God's will. We know that we're to love our neighbor. We're to bridle our tongues, act uh, justly. We're to love mercy, right? We're to be kind. We're to not steal. We're to avoid adultery. We're not to gossip, not to boast, not to slander, right? There's all sorts of things that we know about God's will because they're revealed in his word. But here's the deal. God's decreed will is absolutely going to happen and is presently taking place. But God's revealed will, oftentimes, we as humans, guess what? Hmm. We take a pass or we do the opposite of his revealed will. Even Christians, right? We are all sinners, right? It means to miss the perfect mark. God has revealed his will. This is my law. This is the way to walk. And guess what? Oftentimes, we don't do it. But here you see the power of God, that even in all of our missteps and our, and our times where we're just abject failure and denying and defying him, I want you to know that it does, has no negative effect on God accomplishing his will. And he can providentially overrule and all of the many choices that a person and people can make. God has a way of sovereignly bringing those together to accomplish his will, even in the midst of our disobedience. But I want you to understand something. If you are disregarding, defying God, or not walking in his will, you're the one that loses out. I miss out. When we do not walk in God's will, we are the ones that experience the effect of missing out on his blessing. Our joy is affected. Our obedience, our usefulness is going to be somewhat deterred. We can't lose your salvation, but I want you to know you can diminish what God is seeking to accomplish in your life because you are unresponsive or defying his will. And so God has his will, and he wants us to walk in it, to know it. Like the text says, you are to understand, using your mind, comprehend, and to apply his will the will of the Lord in your life. I want you to know that God's will is not tucked away in some sort of obscured, convoluted interpretation of Scripture. Like, wow, I just twist this around, I add this, 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 and throw in a few numbers and I come to this sort of conclusion. God's will isn't like going to be revealed in some sort of angelic announcement. It's not going to be in some sort of transcendental uh, experience. It most certainly is not going to be in some sort of serendipitous coincidence. Like, all these things just kind of all lined up and that's how I know God's will. I want you to know that to begin with, if you really want to know and understand God's will, and that's what the scriptures call for, then you have to start with your orientation. See, before you and I trusted Jesus Christ and our faith was in him and we're followers of Jesus, our orientation was what? Me. What I want. My ego. I'll make the call. I'll do what I want. I am self-centered. And I want you to know that was your orientation before you knew Christ. 
before regeneration, new birth. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? Ephesians chapter 2. You walked in the wickedness and the ways of this world. You defied God. You lived in darkness. You were unforgiven. You did not have new spiritual life from God. But when you placed your faith and trust in Christ, you trust him as Savior from your sin and the Lord of your life. There is a new leader in your life, and it's no longer you. It's Jesus, right? You are now following him. This whole idea, like, well, I follow Jesus when I want and do whatever I want, uh, 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 that isn't New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity presents a gospel, a gospel of the kingdom, where you're in relationship with the living Lord, and you have a new orientation. There's a new Lord in your life, and his name is Jesus, and you're focused on what Christ would have you. And oftentimes when we talk about, like, God's will, so often we're focused on a, a particular place, um, I need that specific individual like I'm supposed to be in relationship with or do business with or an opportunity. But I want you to know that God's will is really focused on you as a person and on your development, your growth, your maturity. In fact, you could phrase it this way. God's will is more focused on who we become than what we do or where we go. We oftentimes are so hooked up, like, well, I just got to get that position or or this person in my life, and then uh, it's all going to work if I could just get to that place. I'm not saying that those things aren't important. I'm just saying when you look at the will of God, who you are and who you become gets far more attention than you are in a particular place or with a particular person. And no matter what your age you are going to have this desire to know God's will for your life. I mean, there's some things that are rather obvious about God's will, right? Like, for instance, it is obvious that you were to be born, right? And because of the fall, it is obvious that you will die. It is God's will that you are either male or female. God is the one who actually assigns sex, right? It is God's will that you mature to a certain point, right? This is, this is all very evident. Everybody knows that. I mean, if you think about it, there's some folks that pretend they're a little confused on the issue, but these things are pretty self-evident. But I want you to know that God's will is clearly communicated in his word. In fact, you already know almost all of God's will, or at least you have a copy of it if you have a Bible. Now, you may have not read it, or you're not exposed to it, but that might have more to do with you than God who's already revealed. Almost everything in his will, he's actually revealed in his word. So for instance, I'll just give you some examples. And notice how God's will focus, focuses on you and your, as an individual and as us growing in community in Christ, okay? Versus particular places, things, things like that. So for instance, it's God's will that you are actually saved, and when we talk about the word saved, I know that, that kind of gets around and people are like, well, I'm not sure I want that. It means to be rescued from sin, hell, damnation, to experience God's forgiveness and relationship with Christ. Like it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, guess what? You are outside of God's will. You are 
not walking in the knowledge of the truth. God wants you to trust in his son, to see the glory of the Savior, and to recognize, identify, and take responsibility for your sin and your waywardness, and to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's God's will. In fact, that's where it begins. If you're like, whoa, I haven't put my trust and faith and trust in Jesus. Well, if you want to know his will and you want to walk in it, this is where it all starts. Let me give you another one, aspect of God's will, right here in Scripture. We're to be spirit-filled. Next week, we're going to talk about it. He says, verse 18, chapter 5, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, utter waste. But what? Be filled with the Spirit, that your life is yielded to God. You have a desire to walk in his wisdom, his word, and his ways. You will look to glorify God. You're looking to do so in the strength that comes from his Holy Spirit. I want you to know that's God's will for your life. Let me give you another aspect of God's will. We find right here in his word that you are sanctified. The word sanctify means to be set apart. You are set apart from sin, but at the same time, you are set apart for God's holy purposes. It's not that, like, I'm just trying to avoid sinning. Well, that's good. But he actually has called you to enjoy him, to know his purposes, to experience his life. You are set apart to God. And so you find that, like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God. You want God's will? He's going to tell you. Ready? Here it comes. Your sanctification. Wow. And then he gets pretty specific. Look at this. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So you need to know this. If you're committing sexual sin and it takes a lot of different forms, you are outside of God's will. What you want to do is like right now, you're repenting. You're like, God, help me. Save me. Because right now, you are outside of God's will. And there, I want you to know that sinning sexually is ubiquitous. It has always been around, okay? This isn't just like some modern thing that we're experiencing in the world today, like, whoa, look at all this sexual sin and how it's just so commonplace. All you have to do is read through world history and discover, like, whoa, behaving like this, defying God and the morality that he's established, well, this has been around for a long, long time, since the beginning of time, since the fall. God's will is not that you're defrauding people, taking advantage of folks because of your lust. Mm-mm. God's will is for your sanctification. How do we know that? He spelled it out in black and white in his word. Let me give you another aspect of God's will, that you are submissive. You're submitting to God. You're submitting to one another. You're submitting to church leadership, submitting to government. And if like, I don't really like that whole idea about yielding and submitting, well, maybe take a look at the words, like in Romans 13, 1 through 7, or 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 15. Um, What we want to do is walking in God's will. Remember, you're not in charge anymore if you're a Christian. You're following Jesus, and Jesus has given us his word. Here's one that we don't oftentimes think about, but you need to be willing to suffer. And like You might just kind of recoil, like, what? No, no, no. I really want to be comfortable. I'm not interested in suffering. You know, I just got back from overseas, and one of the things that the leadership um, over there commissioned me to do was to prepare these pastors and leaders and their wives for suffering, intense suffering. 
And you know, that is perhaps God's will. I'll give you some verses on that, but like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. Christ is our example, and I want you to know that Christ's power allows us to suffer in the power of the Holy Spirit with an eternal perspective, not just living for the here and now, a willingness to suffer. You know, it's God's will that we, like it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, pray without ceasing, giving thanks. This is God's will for our lives. We read the scriptures, we find out that it's God's will that we're a a part of a local church, that we don't forsake the gathering of the brethren, that we're under the authority of the teaching of the word, that we are engaged in the life of the church. This idea like, well, I'll just maybe on rare occasions make an appearance at a church, but I'm going to call myself, I'm a part of a local church. No, not really, not faithfully, and certainly not biblically. We are engaged. How do we know this is God's will for us? because he has put it down in his word. And I want you to know that Jesus is the supreme example of a life lived for the will of God. Remember in John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus makes this statement, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So the eternal Son of God, when he enters into humanity, the incarnation celebrated at Christmas, I want you to know that he always lived to accomplish the will of his Father. He literally sets aside his own prerogatives to accomplish the will of the Father. And hence, all those who are followers of Jesus, who live to do the will of the Father, also seek to do the exact same thing. It is a defining trait of his people that they are passionately pursuing the will of God. And that's exactly what Jesus said. Remember that occasion in Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 31? Jesus is teaching. His mothers and brothers and sisters show up. And remember, it says this, Then his mother and his brothers arrived, standing outside, and they sent word to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And they're like, "Uh, well, they're, they're standing out there. Jesus asked that question because he's asking this. Who are those who are rightly related to me? Who are those who are in intimate relationship with me? Who are my mother and my brothers? And then he said this. Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of God, why, those are the ones who are rightly related to me. And so, if we're a follower of Jesus, we have a desire to walk in his will. It is one of the reasons why we read the word. We, we value the word being preached. We're not interested in cute stories and just keep me entertained. We really want to engage the will of God, and that's why we're, uh, we're studying it. 
It's more than just a once a week kind of deal. Like, we're followers of Jesus. We're in his family. We want to do his will. And so, if that's the case then, well, how do we discern God's will on matters that are not explicitly written in Scripture? I mean, we all have decisions, right? Choices, opportunities. Should I do this? Do I take this opportunity? What about this job? What about this car? Should I move here? Do I, what do I do? How is it that we could discern God's will in things that are not just written down black and white in the pages of Scripture? I'd like to show you uh, from Psalm 37 our biblical approach on how to discern God's will. And so we're going to take a few minutes here to take a look at Psalm 37. You could turn there, um, or we're going to also have those on the screen here. But Psalm 37 is a really interesting psalm. It's written by David uh, late in his life. You see that from verse 25. It's thought that he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this psalm to prepare Solomon for leadership his son Solomon. And so you find, though, that in this psalm, he is wrestling with that age-old question. Why do the wicked seem to prosper and the godly seem to have such difficult, hard times? Why is that? And it addresses those issues. And so here you have in this psalm, and it it actually begins in verses 1 and 2, he had this exhortation to not be discontent and envy the, the wicked, don't be agitated by them and don't wish that you were like them. So he says, Psalm 37, beginning in verse 1 and 2, he says, Do not fret because of evildoers, and be not envious toward wrongdoers. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. So he says, don't be just worried and constantly focused about these wicked folks doing evil things, and they seem to prosper. Because when we're worried and consumed by these things, it's really hard to, to trust God. And those things will always be there. It's like, wait, this isn't working out the way it should. And that's why verse 2 is there. It's like, you're only seeing a very small part of the picture. You're seeing just the dot on the line of eternity. You're seeing the here and now. Like he says in verse 2, guess what? They're going to wither quickly like the grass, and they will fade like the green herb. So then, beginning in verse 3, he gives us key principles to finding God's will versus fretting over behavior and sometimes the evil actions of the worldly-minded. And the first one, and find there in verse 3, is that we are to commit yourself to God and his word. Look what he says, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord. This isn't some sort of like just kind of breezy, easy optimism, like, oh, everything is just all, it's just kind of work out there. No, no. This is very realistic, but it's also realizing that God is faithful. His word is true. He's going to deal with the wicked, and he's going to accomplish his purposes in my life. This is a faithful, trusting heart, and that's where you're going to find joy and peace. If you're fretting, and you're pulling your hair out, and you're just like, ah, I'm just spending all my time thinking about all these terrible things, and, or why is this person doing these things? I want you to know you you pray about those things, but you cannot let yourself be worked up into a a, a situation where you're just like wrapped around the axle over that and you can never find joy and peace. He says, trust in the Lord. You keep putting your focus back on him. And I want you to know, like, personally, this is an ongoing process. Like, whoa, because it's easy to get distracted. One uh, good friend of mine said to me recently, when God's will becomes more important than my will, life becomes much easier. Mm. Isn't that the case? You see, when we die to self, then all of a sudden we're subservient 
to his will. But it's going to take you dying to yourself. And when we do, guess what? Why, all of a sudden, we kind of, we're not moved by distraction so much. We actually find a great sense of freedom. Our gifts are unleashed. Titles, roles, those things really aren't important to us anymore. Because God and truth and his work in our life, those are the things that are important. And I want you to know that God's will is never, never contrary to God's word. God's will is never contrary to God's word. So you want to commit yourself to God and his word. But then notice what else he says in verse 3. We're to cultivate faithfulness. So he says, trust in the Lord and do good. But notice what he says next. Dwell in the Lord, dwell in the land, and cultivate faithfulness. You are to dwell in the land, to enjoy settling down, living, abiding. He says, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. We could say it this way. You need to bloom where God has planted you. Bloom where God has planted you. In your family, at your school, at that job, in your neighborhood, bloom where God has planted you. You hear this, sometimes people like say, oh, I just need to get out of there. That job is horrific. I just, I got to get out and, and I, then I'll be able to really flourish in God's grace. I want you to know that very likely God wants you to flourish in the midst of the difficulty. Now, he may move you on. That's very possible. But there's some things that he is doing and developing in you that you need to learn. Bloom where you're planted. Gain the wisdom from the godly around you. Be faithful where God has currently placed you. Are you serving God with joy? Are you committed to him? Are you just kind of putting it on pause? I want you to know that this text tells us we're to trust in the Lord and do good. We're to dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And then third, then if those two things are true, then consider the desires that God is giving you. Look at verse 4. This is amazing. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. To delight has the idea of take pleasure and joy, refresh oneself. Do you see the intimacy of relationship? To enjoy God, delight yourself in God, not circumstances, God. And it says then, he will give you the desires of your heart. This isn't a promise for people who want more things from God. This is a promise to those who want more of God in their life, to experience him more. And so he says, that's what you do. You're trusting the Lord. You're doing good. You're dwelling the land. You're cultivating faithfulness. If those things are true, you're delighting in God, then you know what he's going to do? God is going to put his desires in your heart, and he's going to bring those things to pass. It says right here, and it says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so he goes on to say, verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. You see what he's saying there? He is going to bring forth your godliness, your righteousness and it's going to be seen, look at that, as, as, like the, as the light. And your judgments, your wise behavior, your good decisions, your godly, well-thought-out decisions, guess what? That's going to shine like the noonday. 
God's wisdom is being displayed in your life. God's going to do it. And then he says, verse 7, just rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And so when you have decisions before you, and it's not clearly spelled out in the word, right? Then what you want to do is you want to commit yourself to God and his word. You want to be developing a pattern of cultivating faithfulness. And as you're delighting in God, guess what? He's going to give you desires. And so what we want to do is be responsive to him. I would look and see, like, how does this opportunity or this decision, how does it align with my prayerfully well-thought-out priorities and values? How does this line up? How does this line up with the rest of Scripture? Remember, God's will is never going to be in contrast or conflict with God's word. Um, What do godly, wise people say about this? You, You and I all have blind spots. So before you make some big decisions, it's going to have a lot of implications for you and your family, maybe even for successive generations, you might want to have a talk with a person or two that can help you see the full picture. Maybe bring up some things that you hadn't really considered. But once you have clarity and you have a desire to go through that door, well, you should do so. And I want you to know there's going to be surprises along the way. You're not going to know how it's all going to work out. God never promised that. He says that we, the righteous, live by faith, right? We're trusting in him. And we're trusting that these, the, the precepts that he's given us his word, that he is going to lead us through his Holy Spirit. And it'll never, we'll never perfectly understand all, but we do know, like, hey, this really seems what God would have for me. Because these things are true in my life, and I'm trusting him to work in these decisions. I'm asking him, and I'm praying. And so people every once in a while ask me, like, well, why did you come to Fellowship Bible Church? Okay. So I was up there in Portland and the Northwest. Why did you come here? I didn't have, an, like, an audible voice. Um, there was no, like, skywriting in the sky. You need to... No, it wasn't actually like that at all. Um, it wasn't anything mystical. What it was is that, uh, you know, Karina and I were very much committed to God and his word. We were cultivating faithfulness and blooming where God had planted us. I mean, not that it was always easy. I mean, every place has challenges, right? And we were, we were really considering the desires God had given us. I mean, all the years of investment that had been made, years of training, we, we really had a desire to, to be with a group of people that really wanted to know God authentically, and to grow deeply in his word through expository teaching. Where, that's where my training is, where we really dive into the scripture. Not just know a few thoughts about God, but to know God as he revealed himself in his word. We came from a setting like that, and we had a desire, like, God, we think that you're calling us to use everything you've invested in us to do just that. And that's how we ended up here. Did I know all this was going to happen? No, I didn't. I was just trusting God and walking through that door. You might ask, well, well, how did you know that you should marry Karina? Okay? Well, I'll tell you. We were both committed to God and his word. We both came to Christ at college. We were cultivating faithfulness. We were blooming where we planted. Like, we were involved in lots and lots of ministry. We were really just fully giving ourselves over to God. And God gave the desires. I mean, you know Karina, you're like, okay, I definitely see why you would want to marry her. And the heart was there. And so that was the desire and I asked, would you, would you marry me? And she said, yes. How awesome is that, right? Well, that's how it works. 
I'm just a guy, and I want to know what your will is, God, and I want to walk in it. I'm prayerfully, I, I'm, I'm talking to lots of people, but I think this is what you want. I think this is what your will to help me grow and develop. It wasn't just self-centered desires like, God, I think this is what you want me to do. And we got married. And so let me just share with you some insights of learning and living in the will of God. These are things that I've kind of picked up from years of living, uh, shepherding and pastoring people who are trying to discern God's will. One, um, God's wisdom and God's will work together. Okay, you saw that. So if you go back to Ephesians chapter five, you see that His will, wisdom, and will work together. So you see, verse fifteen, chapter five. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. But what's the very next verse? So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, you want to learn from the scriptures what's wise, and you want to learn and consult godly individuals who have wisdom. It's like it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, and acceptable, and perfect. You see that? Prove what the will of God is. It's renewing of your mind, engaging your mind. God's wisdom and his word, and God's wisdom and his will always work together. Let me give you a second one. Trust God to walk through open doors as he opens them and gives you the desire. So if you are committed to God and his word, you got a pattern of that, you're cultivating faithfulness where God has you, and he is planting these desires, and there is an open door, and you have a desire to walk through that door, you know what my counsel would be? You should walk through that door. You should go. You know why? Because God is fully capable of closing those doors. And, and some of us have had that experience where he just, whoop, I thought I was supposed to do that, but the door is clearly closed, right? Job's no longer available, or I'm, I, that house isn't available for me, or this person is now married to someone else. That door is closed, okay? I get it. But you trust God because God is perfectly able to close the door. But you might find this, that God may open a door so wide that you can't walk around it. You can only walk through it. And let me give you a third principle. God's will may very well develop us through a zigzag process. What is the shortest distance between two points? What, math folks? What? It's a straight line, right? Well, you know, God knows that. He's the one that actually established that, but um, God often develops us through a zigzag. So, for instance, let's take the people of Israel. Remember, they're in bondage in Egypt. Things aren't going so well. They're crying out to God. All right, and God says, all right, 400 years is up. Guess what? I'm going to take you to the promised land, right? He had already given these prophecies. And do you know that when he took them out of Egypt, there was a direct route that they could get to the promised land very quickly. But that is not the route that God took his people on. They were on a 40-year zigzag through the desert. And I want you to know that God revealed himself, his law, and he addressed all sorts of issues in the people of Israel. And he did it in the desert as they learned to follow him. Remember? Pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, right? Remember that? They learned to follow him and depend upon him. And they were painful lessons. People died. It, wasn't, it was difficult. But I want you to know that's how God works. 
He could take us in a straight line, but he's in the process of developing us, and he does it through a zigzag. You know, like, think about, like, a guy like Abraham, you know? I mean, Abraham was in the land of the Chaldeans in Ur. Then he makes his way to Haran, to Mesopotamia. And then he goes to the land of Canaan, which will eventually be the promised land, the land of Israel. And then God takes him to Egypt. And then back out of Egypt, back to the land of Canaan. I mean, Abraham's journey in life, he went through modern-day Iraq, Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Egypt, and Jordan. What's going on there? Well, through that zigzag process, God was developing Abraham and accomplishing his will in him and through him. Things that we still benefit from today and read about in Holy Scripture. Think of Paul's second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. It says this, verse 6, they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They really, that was their plan to go to Asia Minor, and they couldn't. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, same area, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul, a knight of man from Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel to them. That's how the gospel goes to Europe, because God was moving them in a zigzag, and it wasn't their plan. We don't know exactly how he prevented them, either with circumstances or maybe the Spirit of God just put it on their heart, like, absolutely not. You are not doing that. But you see, God accomplishes his work in us and through us as we walk in his will. And, and I, I see this. I see people in their, like their careers like, man, I never thought I would end up this way. You know, you really see this with like missionaries. Sometimes, you know, missionaries, they have a heart for a particular people group or a particular place, and they do all this training, and it could include language, and But then, you know what? God actually has this planning, but then he moves them to another direction. They're not outside of God's will. They didn't miss God's will. God oftentimes develops his people through a zigzag. You probably recognize that in your own life. I certainly do. After becoming a Christian, coming through college, I I was in in the business world. And then I was sensing that, well, maybe God's calling us to be missionaries in Russia, but then I got trained in, uh, to be a pastor, really to dive into the scriptures and, and to be able to teach them. And so, well, then I, I was a youth pastor, and then the next year I was a youth and a worship pastor, and then they made me an associate pastor, and then eventually I became a, a senior pastor. And I, sometimes that was a change of position, zigzag, zig, you know, like, well, I didn't ever see that coming there. I was a youth pastor. I'd never been in a youth group before. That was a challenge. Okay, so I'm like, uh, but then... And like, sometimes like a relocation. We're like a long ways away from what was familiar down here in Waco, right? But I want you to know that's how God works. Sometimes he develops us in a zigzag. And God moves us as we're moving forward by faith. One of my mentors, Tyler Evans, uh, I was learning how to do youth ministry from him. I was sitting in a class. He was teaching junior hires, and I was learning how to teach, you know, like junior high kids. I like didn't know anything about how to teach. And he made this statement. God doesn't drive parked cars. God doesn't drive parked cars. And his point was, is that as you're moving, God will be directing. But if you're kind of one of those people that are just like, man, I'm just sitting here, I don't know what God wants me to do, so I'm going to do nothing. No, you want to get moving, and he's going to direct you. You just start serving. You start walking with God in your neighborhood, at your job, and let's just see what God is going to do. And friends, that's what we want to do, passionately pursuing the will of God. Think of how our family and our church thrives and flourishes when we're all doing this. 
This week I had uh, multiple conversations, but two were kind of stood out to me in this area. One was, uh, both were business guys. One was a business guy who had a significant opportunity. The door was wide open. He took it very seriously, talked it over with his wife a lot. They prayed about it. Uh, he talked with another guy in the church. And when I met with him and talked with him about this, he said, you know, I've struggled with pleasing people in my life a lot. I know I'd make a lot of people happy if I said yes to this, but you know what? I can't. God has not given me a desire to do this. And so I, wanted to, I told him, I said, I want you to know you passed the test. God is leading you and you followed. You did it right. And we could celebrate that decision. A decision to know to not walk through that door. Based on, he's already cultivating faithfulness, he's dwelling in the land, but God made it clear. On the other hand, I had another conversation, business guy in our church. Several years ago, he had a, a significant opportunity and a big decision needed to be made. There was a, a known route, and there was this kind of like big opportunity, a lot of unknowns, but in consulting with some folks in our church, Praying about it, looking, doing all the due diligence. He had a desire to walk through that door, even though he didn't know what really would look like and why it's worked out far better than he ever imagined. Both of those men are walking in the will of God. And so, friends, I want you to know this. God accomplishes his work in us and through us as we walk in the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege it is to open up your word as you open up our hearts. For someone who is here today who's never trusted in your son, would they right now just say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. I want to walk in your will. I want to be saved and rescued from my sin. I believe in Jesus as my Savior and the Lord of my life. And God, for all of us who do know you, God, help us to walk in your will. For your will to be lived out in our lives. We do this not for our own glory, but for yours. And we ask all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Grant. Thank you for rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's stand together as we respond to that and sing of the goodness of God in our lives.